Today, I'm talking to Michael Dreyfus in Silicon Valley. Michael is not just a top agent in the country. He is an industry thought leader and president and a principal for Golden Gate Sotheby's International Realty. With over 25 years of repeated success in residential real estate, Michael currently ranks as a leading agent in the Silicon Valley Peninsula area and has regular appearances on Wall Street Journal and is regularly, or kind of always, on the Wall Street Journal Real Trends of America Top 250 Agents, as well as the Bay Area Top 10. His recent sales have been often and varied, including some of the highest recorded sales in Palo Alto, Woodside, and Atherton. He has also sold homes in Menlo Park, Los Altos, Los Altos Hills, Mountain View, Portola Valley, Redwood City, San Carlos, San Mateo, and Hillsboro. Michael has established a specialty in the high-end market and the neighborhoods of North Palo Alto. In addition, he represents clients in high-end second homes for their home sales throughout California. From Southern California to Northern California, Michael started his real estate career twice. Both times he went from zero to industry icon. The first time, not knowing anything. The second time, not knowing anyone. We talk about how he did it. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and our business to the next level. All right, everybody, it's the Jerry Metcalf podcast. And today we have Michael Dreyfus. He is a broker and owner and a practicing agent at Golden Gate Sotheby's International Realty in Palo Alto. Michael, it's an honor to have you on the show. Good to see you and welcome. Jerry, it's really good to see you. So let's let's start with who you are a little bit, um, because that's going to really bring some relevance to our conversation. When I met you, I remember you had a few, you know, $100 million properties for sale. Um, And you've just sold this year, I think four properties over 20. I think you sold one last night put out a contract for 18 million. Um, and you're selling a lot of properties in other markets, but you started pretty hyper-focused on your market. That yeah, means that, I, tell, yeah, elaborate for us. Well, I, I just, I, I've had an interesting journey in 30 years I've been doing this. Um, I was a real estate attorney to start with, not for very long, because I wasn't very good at it. And, uh, um, and I had that epiphany uh, one one night at two o'clock in the morning, going through a set of CCNRs that I did not like what I was doing, and the other guy did, and so I thought I better get another gig, and I just sort of backed into um, residential real estate, and I started as my own business. I just announced that I was a real estate broker. I'd taken the test as an attorney, and I hung up a shingle, and I and I I started selling homes, and I was kind of lucky because I was in Southern California, and it was a terrible market, and I was young. I was, you know, in my early thirties and my friends were all having babies and marrying. 
and they were the market. There was no other market. The defense industry collapsed in California in the um, early 90s, late 80s. And uh, they let me, you know, cut my teeth and by representing them. And um, it was a perfect market for somebody new. I was aggressive. It, it needed an aggressive market. I was getting thrown out of people's houses for making offers that were too low, but they were actually the right offers. And uh, the, you know, the, the real estate community as a whole, when those things happen, it's really hard for yeah. people that have, you know, you've sold somebody a house three years ago and now you're telling them, uh-oh, you know, it's not worth what you paid for it. And so it was just, timing was just great. And I grew my little brokerage and I uh, sold it to Call a Banker, which means like they gave me some marketing money and I changed my sign and walked in there. And, um, and I was all over the place early on. I would sell something anywhere, anytime. And then I realized I, I needed to focus and I, you know, uh, bought a house in Newport Beach. I settled down. I started focusing on a, a certain neighborhood, and I built this business for ten years, um, and it became a really good one. And uh, in the late '90s, my wife uh, was a, a real estate—I uh, mean, I'm sorry—a corporate attorney and a partner at her firm, and they wanted her to go up to the hotbed of civilization, which was the Silicon Valley in the late '90s, and get into the dot-com stuff, and I'd kind of had a burnout period at the end of that. I was really successful. I was selling all these homes. I had all these people working for me. And I just, I, I got my 1099 at the end of the 1999, I think. And I looked at it and I said, where is all this money? Like, yeah. I think it was almost $2 million in 1999. Okay. And wow. I didn't have it all. I mean, it was all going somewhere else. And, and I was too busy and clients weren't happy. And I just kind of realized like, these people don't work for me. I work for all of them and I I'm doing this wrong. And I walked in and I said, honey, let's talk to your firm. And we did. And we, and we also had little kids and we were thinking about where we want to raise them, what we want to do. And next thing I know we were headed to Palo Alto and, uh, and it's kind of funny. I was, I kind of came for the crash because I'd lived through a crash and I kind of th saw the dot com thing and thought this is not going to end well. And I'm going to, this time I'm going to take up advantage of it. And I was thinking more of a model of, selling higher end homes, maybe investing a little bit myself. And then I just, you know, the sales thing is just in me and I, I got dragged back in and, and then I hired somebody and I hired, and I started my own firm again and I hired somebody else. And then, you know, within three or four years, I had 35 people and, oh, wow. um, and then we became a Sotheby's and then I merged that Sotheby's with another Sotheby's and long story short is now we're going to get Sotheby's. We have 550 agents and over 20 offices in the Bay area. And I've pulled way back from where I was when it was Dreyfus Sotheby's, which was a leader manager and agent to just purely an agent. Um, that's what I'm good at. I don't like managing and that's where I am today. So, Wow. That you really, I mean, that was maybe not even five minutes. You just summed that up very well. <laughs> so you started as an agent at Caldwell. You started as an agent on your own. Yeah. Now, when did you go to Caldwell Banker? After I was, I only had my own little brokerage for about two or three years. And then I went to Caldwell Banker probably in 93-ish or something like that. And while you were at Caldwell Banker, you were top 10 in the country. Yeah. One year, one year I was, we were very high producers. Yep. And you were making not very much money, even though you were grossing well, well into seven figures. Yeah. I, I think I bought into the classic 
which you you have seen before the um the fame part of realty and the i i'm selling more in volume and and the awards and all that kind of stuff and when it's really about you know and i was young too as you get older you more balance of life actually making more money you know it, making less money to make more money is is better than making more money to make less money and i see it i see it in a lot of, of team setups right now i see a lot of these big teams and the principal is not doing as well as maybe the guy who sits across from him who sells, you know, 12 to 15 houses a year, um, you know, but good ones. Um, and so it's, I think there's a, I think we've kind of gotten lost in the volume race of Wall Street Journal, you know, we're where you're ranked. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So then you went from Cobble Baker. So was it Cobble Baker that you then said, okay, enough's enough and moved to Northern California and started? I actually did a, I actually did a stint at Prudential. Um, they opened an office and a guy named Steve Games got the franchise and came in and opened and, and, and talked to me. And I had an idea where I wanted to kind of, Cobble Banker was feeling a little bit, actually, you know what happened? I, don't, I remember this. Uh, somebody in my office embezzled money from a client. And I just remember that day so well, because I remember going, my God, that guy has the same sign I do. And I, I, that made me feel really super uncomfortable. And I, and it was, it was, it was a bad market and bad markets brokerages sometimes hire willy nilly and they weren't being as careful. And so I was looking for a better environment and I talked to Steve and I, there was this little, uh, it was actually a drugstore on the corner of Marguerite and Corn de Mar for anybody who knows that. And I knew the um, owner because my dad was a pharmacist and I grew up working in his drugstore and, and I knew the owner wanted to retire and he wanted to sell his building. So I talked Steve into getting this, this little corner shop. And the idea was high visibility. We bought like one of the first big flat panel TVs and put them in the windows. And, you know, we did all these fancy conference rooms and, and it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a lot of fun. And, and three or four of us at Call Banker went together to start it. And we were amongst our best agents. And that was a really great lesson for me because, you know, I'm kind of into collaboration and, and yes. collegiality, which is tough in our business. But the three of us, when we got together, we, we all doubled our business. You know, we were, we were absolutely competitors, but we all just ramped it up together. And that taught me a lot and, uh, and was part of the problem, too, because then I had so much business, we started to burn, I started to burn out. Um, but that was, that My... was where I was when I left for the Valley. Yeah. So you made, so two things I want, I want to talk about how you started over, but also you made a comment earlier. You said, I realized they don't work for me. I work for them. So that was when you adjusted and moved to Northern. How did you change people working? How did you adjust so that you weren't just working for everybody and paying everybody? I think that's a success. You hate hit that point. When you started over, how did you avoid that the second time? Or did you have to learn the well, lesson a couple times? I had to learn a lesson a couple times, to be honest. Um, when I started over, I just started by myself. Um, and I've always had an assistant, even when I first started my business, because I came out of law and I was used to having an admin and somebody to do that kind of stuff. And it just always made sense to me to have support um, and let me do what I do well um, and, and, and hire, hire people that can do things that I can't do. I'm not incredibly detail oriented. So I like to have an admin who is, um, and, uh, and so I started, you know, I, I, I started with a deal that I had, which was fortunate is my wife's firm was, um, starting new office. And so part of the deal when we left was when our 
our our lawyers come up, we'll give them to you to you know help them with their houses. Oh, so crazy, then, yeah. so then again, two thousand happens and the market crashes, and I'm the only guy in town with buyers, you know, pretty much because no one's buying. So yeah. it's kind of a weird you know analogy to when I was young and I had my young friends, and now I had buyers from a corporate world, and no one was really buying anymore. And uh, and it helped me cut my teeth and learn the market. Super interesting, just weird fact is that I could like I could actually take an agent from Southern California and put them on an agent in Northern California, you know. And I kind of came up with this theory: there's like six types of agents, and it's a whole big, big long conversation. Gee, what I are could they? Match them. I could literally match them. What um, are they? What are the six types of agents? This it's is too, too much long. fun. It's, it's too long. Um, I, I mean, I can go through a, a couple, you know, really quick. There's the, the, you know, super aggressive in your face, you know, uh, you know, agent that like, like it comes down and slams a contract down and says this, or, or it's always yelling at you, or, you know, you, you look at that agent, oh, you're yeah. like, how do, how do they do business? But they do, they're successful actually lots yeah. of times, yeah, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to, it's another conversation. I have to, I have to. I love that. But we have that. those. It's almost, it's almost reassuring. It was funny. You can match them. It was just stunning to me. I was going, I was like, oh my God, that's that person from There's down there. Parallel agents. Like yeah. These little yeah. Parallel, parallel universes, universes. In each city. Yeah. Yeah. So that was great. It helped me get going. Then I hired some help and, um, and that help sort of became, you know, I think the next phase for me was like a mentoring phase. Like I was raising real estate agents and, uh, and I, and so I literally, as they kind of, you know, got better, they would start selling themselves and I get somebody else in and, you know, uh, and then I got to this, to, to this kind of structure where, um, I sat down with one great agent today, Summer Brill, who's still with us and Summer wanted to, uh, come work with me. And she and I hammered out this contract much to, because of her due diligence about a two-year period and how she would grow and what year two would look like. And then she would launch. And by that time I was starting to really kick in, in the Valley. I mean, I went from zero, I went for, I always tell people when I left Southern California, when I started there, I grew up there. So I knew everybody, but I didn't know what I was doing. When I came to Northern California, I didn't know anybody, but I knew what I was doing. It was the exact opposite. And the weird things, it took me about the same amount of time to get a big business. It took me six years to really oh, get wow. it going. Yeah. And, uh, and so by 2006, I was starting to really move. And, and it was funny because I had summer on my team and it was the second year and she was supposed to leave. And we sat down to talk about it. And she said, she said, I don't want to go. This is too fun. I, 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 I'm looking at those other agents and I can see their faces and how they, they're worried about the business they're going to have tomorrow. And she said, this is just too good. And that was when I really started to click in on having a real a team of you know, that was, you know, really focused on, you know, what we were doing and how to build that and how to, how to do that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, I'm also building this brokerage and that was too much. That was my second mistake. I finally got to this really scary spot of, I think we were about 40, 40 agents, which is a bad place to be in brokerage. You want to be really small or really big. And, uh, and I realized, and, and I was doing three jobs. I was owner, manager, and our number agent. one agent. Yeah. So, so I almost killed myself there. And, uh, um, and I did the Sotheby's thing and that's a whole nother conversation. And then, and then getting at, once I got out of that and pulled back and I, I might argue that might've been an ego thing too. You know, I had Dreyfus properties, you know, you know, yeah. on the, on the, on the building in Palo Alto. Um, but once I got out of that, I think I kind of really got back into 
selling and the pureness of the, of selling and the art of it, you know, and, and, uh, and, and we were going well in about five or six years ago, I made a conscious decision to move up the price point dramatically. I mean, I was already selling our average kind of is two to 3 million here to to even kind of, that's our normal homes. And, uh, I was selling two to 10, um, and I was representing buyers on some of the higher stuff, but I wasn't listing them. And, and I decided, you know what, I want to go get that. And, and I made a real effort to do it and really thought about it and thought what the difference was and built my marketing up in a, a little different way. And it's funny. I mean, you know, it's, it's paid off. I mean, this year I had the inventory and it hit, I mean, COVID hit and people started buying the super high end stuff and I was sitting there with it. So and who funny knew? life. Yeah. I know life's life's so much luck, you know, as well as, as, as well, if you're not prepared so, for the luck, it kind of passes you by. I think that's true. Take a little credit now. Um, so a few layers of things, there's the one of growing teams, being a salesperson, how do you manage and figure out where the, what the sweet spot is for that? There's also the becoming successful. You were a new agent with no experience. You became successful. Was that through just sheer will? Because I know there was a point in which you actually became hyper-focused and specialized and that was that in Southern California or was that in Silicon Valley? It was in both places. I learned the lesson in Southern California. Um, there was a neighborhood um, which I lived in. I bought a house. I actually rented a house there first. And, uh, and I think, was I, I think yeah. yeah, I think the answer to your question is, is what, what made me successful is I innately recognized premiums in real estate and, and what people weren't seeing. And I was kind of, I'm kind of a junkie on real estate, like we all are, but I like to get really deep on it. And I always like to, and I always try to uh, explain this by saying there's a view and then there's a better view. And then there's that view. Okay. The one that nobody has. All right. You and I know those are three very different prices. Okay. But you can take that into real estate in so many ways. And so in this neighborhood, which was a family, popular with young families, that's why I was there. It, it was built around a local elementary school in a big circle, okay? And within that circle was another circle of a road that ran around it. And so the road bisected the homes that were right on the park and the school, a big, big, huge green belt, sort of. And then there were the, the houses that were outside the road um, that weren't on the, on the park and the school. And so I looked at that and I thought, you know, the house I really like is the one that's right on the park. I like that house. That, that's cool. You're like got this giant yard extra that you don't pay for. You know, I like that place. And I, as I started representing buyers and in, in, in there, I started telling them, you know, we should pay more for that. Or we, they're, they're not charging for that. Let's go get it. And then as I started getting listings, I started charging more. And then I literally came up with a nomenclature for it, which was inner loop and outer loop. And I started advertising that I'm in the inner loop. You know, this is an inner loop location. And then buyers are like, well, what's that mean? And well, it means you pay 10% more, you know? And, and I started Amazing just how naming in. things. Yeah. yeah. Dig, digging in like that. Also lot sizes, land, I think became more and more valuable throughout my career. People at first, you know, as building restrictions got more serious in California, which they've gotten very serious, lots of jurisdictions started limiting what you could build to the size of the land. And, and that's probably true in a lot of places. And as that got more intense, I started to realize, well, 
these are small lots in you know in Newport Beach. You're talking if you have a ten thousand square foot lot versus a six thousand or a twelve thousand or my God, that's the biggest lot in the place. It's fourteen thousand square feet. That's special, and you charge for it. And the last part of all this is that I was in an affluent area, and I always tell people in my listings, you know, on Maslow's hierarchy, you know, I don't sell shelter, I sell self-attainment. Okay, no one needs a five million dollar house. You can get a perfectly good million dollar house and live in it. Okay. But people pay premiums on a very discretionary basis. And so when you get into high end real estate, that's what you can really start to do is identify what people want and how they can buy it. So when I left and came to Southern to Northern California, I, I had the blueprint in my head. I need to do this again. I, I, I kind of learned it there, but this time I was very focused and very studied about it. I really, I really drove around and I said, what area is up and coming? What area has what people aren't seeing? And how can I jump on that? Wow. So you said two things. I don't sell shelter. I sell self-attainment. Is that what you called it? Yeah. Yeah. And the other That's one was- hierarchy, food and shelter at the bottom. And as you move up, it's the hierarchy of needs. Self-attainment right. is the highest need. Yeah. Right. Or what, yeah. Or self, yeah. Or what is it? I, I always, not that it matters, but yeah. Self-attainment. It's not self-awareness. It's something else, but yeah. Self-attainment. Yeah. Premium, and then the other one you said, just to reiterate to everybody, people pay pre- premiums on a discretionary basis. Like that sums up what you did. You identified how what they were going to pay more for or what they didn't realize they knew but didn't know. You just, people right. don't know what you want until you, what they want until you show them. Right. And you got to, and also you have to do the work to understand they're there. So, so for instance, when I, when I went to Palo Alto, um, I was already on this sort of land thing and I looked around Palo Alto and I realized that they weren't charging anything different for a 10,000 square foot lot versus an 8,000 square foot lot versus a 5,000 square foot lot. They're kind of very close together. And the size of the house was the big deal. Okay. At the same time, this town was going through a massive, massive change. It had been a university town, a little bit more, you know, blue collar. And now this Dot com, dot com money is just pounding into there and people are coming from all over the world and they and, and they want to and also we were going through this transition where it used to be in the 60s 70s you'd live in in the flatlands as we you might call it here palo alto menlo park and if you made it big you'd move up into the hills and build your big house well all of a sudden all this young money didn't want to be in the hills and it wanted to be in the mix and it just changed everything. And, and now that's kind of apparent. I mean, the walk scores and everything is, is a development of all that. And COVID actually is changing this back the other way. We're seeing people go back to the hills yeah. and back to the space. But, but that was happening as I came in. And, and it was very fortuitous because then people started building the McMansions or whatever you want to call them. And the town cramped down on them. And they made these lot ratios. And, and I did the work. I went and I counted how many 20,000 square foot lots are there in each neighborhood. And, and then figured out, you know, I mean, you know, scarcity is value, right? Uh, somebody exactly. buys one and they build something big on it. They're probably not selling it for another seven to 10 years and one's gone. And if you want another one, then that one's gone, you know, and now you're down to, I, I literally had a listing in one of our best neighborhoods. And I had this little diagram of how many lots there were, how many is sold, how many had new homes built on them till it got to me. I was the only game in town. I, I could basically tell a buyer, if you want to build your own house, right now and pay land value, this is the last one. And I can show you the other ones that have all been built in the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you said you mentioned always... earlier you weren't detail oriented. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, that's 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 inquisitive more than detail. I think that's just that's just knowing your product and knowing what you're selling, and and that I'm really into. Whenever I take a listing, I, I you know, I, I try to figure out what's you know what's the opportunity here, what's special about this property, um, and how can I take advantage of that? Because the best selling situation you can ever be in is. Oh, you don't want to pay my price? Well, that's great. Go find another one. So, oh, you're back again because you can't find another one. <laughs> so this leads into you talked earlier before we were recording about you about listing presentations and the agents and you know in your office that you own seem to or Golden Gate the, the agents there seem to lot you guys have five hundred something agents right yeah hundred fifty five five hundred fifty I think so. This so what you're talking about. Have you ever heard of the book Pitch Anything? Yeah, it's it's in my presentation actually. There, well, yeah, there's two books I love: Pitch Anything and another one called Brief. Um, and and they're they're great books. Um, and you know, and that's you know, I mean, in, in your prep work, you had you know some questions, and you know, what's one of your passions? That's kind of a passion of mine. Is like, you know, is, is first of all. I think what, what's been really cool about my career is watching real estate become more professional. Um, you know, yeah. and, and, and a lot of that has to do with the money as the money increased and, uh, and, and the stakes got higher. Um, you know, there's some really good agents out there. I mean, I, I sent something to a colleague of ours, Jeremy Stein for my uh, client of mine that had a, um, a apartment in New York and he, and he sent her back a, a comparative market analysis and I, and she had, had me read it. I read it. And I was like, damn, that's good. <laughs> like, that's really good. There's some really good agents out there and real, real pros. And, and that wasn't the case as much when I started, I think, I think it's gotten a lot better business. Oh, so I'm into the business. I'm into well, like, what makes it work? What, how can you be better? Jeremy Stein was on the show, I think three episodes before was he? us. I think so. It's great guy. Yeah, Jeremy's yeah. great. So but pitch anything, basically what you were doing before the book was written or was framing. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because yeah. I read pitch anything for the first time uh, a year and a half ago. And uh, I hadn't read it before then. And I opened up that first, like that first story he tells about the, about the guy trying to interrupt him. I had that experience the day before. And it was the weirdest thing to realize the things that I had done naturally and the things that I had, I could, I could have used, you know, from, from reading the book, but yeah, it's a big part of what we, what we do naturally is that power framing, the authority of who you are and what you do. So tell us a little bit about your, your, well, because I wanted to transition this to into, well, pitching and where you are now, because your business has very much changed from being hyper-focused and doing a lot of management and overextending yourself and learning that I feel like it's the lesson that's especially as realtors, we're givers. You're just mm -hmm. giving of yourself. So at what point, how do you decide the boundaries to draw and what, how do you, how do you decide, how do you mold yourself into the right place to be the most of yourself without ever extending yourself? Well, you, you know, one thing is I, I, I'm a real um, sharer. And I, I, and it's not because I'm nice. It's because I believe that I get it back in spades. Okay, I, in my experience, even standing up with a with a bunch of new agents and giving them my listing presentation, if you want to say that, this is this is my listing presentation, and this is how I do it. 
I learn as much from them and their comments and what they say as what I give. And it's always evolving anyways. I mean, I kind of laugh because sometimes they say, can you give me your listening presentation? Like, like hand it to me. Like, no, I, I can't hand you anything. I mean, as a matter of fact, I bring stuff in and I put it down on the table and lots of times I walk out with it and no one opened it. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's a conversation and, and it's always evolving and things are changing and really the analysis is what's such a big part of it. So I, I like sharing for that reason. And, and, and that's my style uh, in, in, in deal making. I mean, I told, I told this agent last night, um, we were laughing after we did that big deal. It was her first big deal. I mean, she got, she had it's the first one she'd done and we had furniture involved. And I told her early on, you know, I don't really know you yet, but I hate furniture and sure enough, furniture almost ruined our deal. Um, and, and we were talking at, at the end and, uh, um, you, you know, I, you know, she kind of thanked me for how open I was with her, but I told her that's not, that's just my style. I mean, I like transparency. I like, it's called a deal. It's not called my way, right? It's called a deal. And so you got it. I find that when you, when you give and take and talk, you know, and obviously we have barriers and points where you step back. Um, but as much as you can do from that, you're trying to put something together. You're not trying to rip everything apart. And, and that's done me well. Um, and it's done me well with my clients too. I think it's, it's a little longer term strategy in terms of building your business. It's, you know, I think short term is what can I get today and what deal can I make today? But longer term, you get a reputation and then people trust you. And, and, it, and that's good with agents and clients. It's amazing how that builds when you're young and you're new. I remember thinking, well, this is just what you're supposed to do. And over and over again, these, it's like the compound effect of people remembering when you don't even remember how things went down and wanting to work with you again, which grows your business. I love what you said though, put, you're putting things together, not ripping them apart. Um, so pitch anything in your pitches and your listings, you went from hyper-focus to your a lot broader now. You're selling higher and higher price points. You are have a listing, for example, in Montecito. So tell us a little bit about where your business went, where it is now, and where you see our business in general going, being the business of being a residential real estate broker or agent. Well, I think um, as pitch anything sort of demonstrates, you know, uh, there's a, there's a skill set here. And then that, that book talks about the skill of presenting, right? Tell and us a little bit about that too, to put into context for everybody. Well, Pitch Anything, it's a fun book. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's this guy's concept of, of how to, to win business, okay? And, and very simple things. I, I, and I like, I like reading this kind of stuff. I don't buy into all of it, but you always take pieces away and then you put it into your own self. And one of the things I, I did like about, two things I liked about it was one, the power framing that Jerry referred to is this idea that, that people are scared when you first get there. He called it the crock brain. Is that right, Jerry? Yeah. I think it's a crock brain. The crock brain, they're sitting there and they're going, oh my God, what if this is the wrong person? They're going to make me sign something. I don't want to sign anything. I'm so scared right now. I don't know what I'm doing. Just you know, get me oh out my of God. here. Yeah. yeah. And you have to get through that. And one of the ways you get through that is with the power frame, with becoming an authority and telling them, making them feel like I'm talking to the right person. Okay. And sometimes you have to fight to get that because some people will try to take it away from you. They'll say, you know what? You really don't sell many houses here. Okay. And, and actually the, the other story is, is that I realized that the day, be, the, the, when I read pitch perfect the week before I had gone to an area where I'd never sold a house. 
ever. They called me because it was a high price point and, it, and they said, we want to talk to you. And I grabbed a local agent of ours that was there. We went over there. We walked in the house, this beautiful house, like totally, it was actually done, uh, the architect modeled after Monarch Butterfly with views of the ocean in Pescadero, California. Wow. Yeah, and, uh, and I walked in and we walked around the house and, and, I said, and I said, okay, let's go sit down over there. Right, Jerry, he, he says in there, always pick where you're gonna go. I said, the guy oh, said yeah. let's go sit down over there. And, and I think I'm interested in taking this listing. Okay. And then we spent an hour with him telling me why I should take the listing pretty much. And I didn't realize it, but I totally power framed him because um, I read the book later. And, uh, and I meant it though, because I, again, it's a deal, right? I, yeah. I got to be right for the property. He's got to be right for the property. I don't do that normally. I don't know why in the heck I did it in that situation, but I did. And you get that's, what, that's what Pitch well, Perfect talks about. How many times do you go to an appointment and I think, I, I, like it's funny because you it was authenticity transparency because truly yeah. there yeah. becomes a point in your career where you go to listening to and you think I, I don't I don't need to take this listing uh, you, I actually think right that and yeah. I make the mistake of just not returning the phone call which I hate to admit yeah. that out loud because this is getting recorded but it's it's an it's a right. thing agents do whereas the reality is we go into <clears> listings going do I want this or not especially when you get to a certain level of experience and inventory you've got to take the ones you're going to do a good job for and that are going to sell yeah and, yep. the and that's, an, e and that's an ego thing, ego thing too. Sometimes you get competitive and you want to win it, you know, when you shouldn't, you just really shouldn't. So, exactly. Yeah. So we were going from there into where your business is now pitching. Now you've gone from hyper-focused to now you're taking listings in Montecito. Our industry's changing. High net worth clients are changing the way they hire, what they need, what we're realizing they need, what we're able to offer them, what you're able to offer them. Well, the big, the big change for me was moving up the price point and realizing one, how, how small that community is. Like you hear the phrases that, you know, they're all in the same pond. It's sort of true. I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, numbers, the numbers of billionaires in the world was 2,347 is changing all the time. Wait, say that but, again, though. I think everybody needs, how many billionaires are there in the world? 2,347 was the la not last time I looked. Many. Not very many. And, and, and by the way, if you're selling a house, I think if it's, I think it's $800,000 is the top 3% of income in the United States. Okay. Wow. So it really, if you start to adjust yourself to where, you know, what your market, whatever your market is, and mine happens to be super wealthy. Right. And, and even for Golden Gate Sotheby's, when I go and give the listing presentation and I talk about it, a lot of the agents in other places will say, well, Mike, you saw all those fancy houses, all those people. I'm like, no, you're selling million dollar houses. Do you understand the income that's required to, to buy a million dollar house? I mean, that's wealth, okay? That's top 3% of income in the United States. And, right. and so, so putting, once I started, you, you know, I, I kind of knew that as you start moving up the price point, you're realizing you're talking to a limited audience that has big buying potential, okay? And they're interested in not just what's going on here, they're interested in what's going on in New York or their place in Tahoe or Paris or Rome or whatever. And, uh, and I think Sotheby's was a great move for me for that reason, because it really gave me a lot of outlets to collect information like that and, and be in the know. But more importantly, and this is going on in spades right now in COVID, 
I'm helping my clients buy things everywhere. So, so I think the referral thing, and it's not a referral. It's like a, you're, you're involved in these deals. They trust you and they want to take you with them, but you need help. And that started me flipping that on its head to listings. You know, hey, I got this, I got this skill set in this price point. It, and, and the people are coming from, you know, kind of all the same places. They all know each other. And, and you know, the Montecito example is a perfect one. We told that client, we, you know, we know that people from the Silicon Valley are buying a lot in, in, in Montecito. And the agent goes, yeah, there was this deal, this deal, this deal. And I said, they're my clients and I'm going to put your house in front of them. And that, that concept of knowing how to play in that space, how to market in that space and and that your clients are crossing things and going back and forth um, just was a revelation to me. And I start, and now I'm, I'm, I'm running with it. I'm starting to think, how can I, how can I take this skill set and use it? And it's sort of a service to my existing clients. You know, I send them out stuff like, Hey, there's this really nice place in Vail, you know, you interested? Um, And they often are. Good. Well, and then, or they have a place in Vail and you have a broker in Vail who you know very well. Right. Uh, right. That's right. What, um, what about when, well, sorry, too many things to think about because you've got so many, <laughs> your careers in so many directions and yet so focused the book brief quickly, give us, that is a book I have got to read, but give us a little bit of yeah. your takeaway from it. Um, What's great about brief is it goes into concepts of actually being brief. Okay, get to the point, help people understand, don't go too far. But I think the most important concept that I took out of it too is respect people's time. Okay. Yeah. And I think as talky, you know, realtors, we can go on and on and on a lot. I can go on and on all day, as you can probably see. But but you know, it helped me get really pointed in my presentations. And so for instance, I I read it. And the next day I had to go in and ask for a price drop on a $65 million property. And I wanted to get $20 million lopped off. Okay. Very uncomfortable. You know, what, how's this going to go? And brief tells you, you know, make a list, make your points, you know, know what you're going to say before you go in there. And I wrote down these five points and I went in and I just followed them in kind of staccato quick order. You know, uh, this is what, this is what we've done. This is where we've been. This is what we've learned this is what we need to do. This is what I want. And I was out of there in 20 minutes with the price drop. I was astounded. $20 I mean, million like, dollar price drop, right? Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this actually works, you know? Yeah. I, and this was a busy man and I'd respected his time and I, I, and I kept my thoughts organized and I sent them to him. And, and that book is awesome in that way. It's also awesome because it, it tells you to do what I just did, which is to tell stories. Stories are the best way to talk to people. Um, so you're and, bullet pointing and incorporating a story into it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you tell stories about, you know, and the stories I told to him, you know, was, um, you know, our, the experience we had, we had this one buyer and this is what they said. We had this other buyer and this is what they said. Oh, by the way, down the street, this is what's gone on there. This is what that sale happened. You know, you tell stories and people take, take that stuff in. I think pitch perfect may speak to that a little bit too. Brief speaks very mm-hmm. strongly to the, the using stories to communicate, um, in your, in your, I think Pitch Perfect does. I, I read that one about when you did, but I only read it once, which yeah. at least I usually I read half of it unless it's never split the difference, which I read like seven times. But anyway, but on, on brief that I love that I've got to get that book. I'm going to reread pitch anything. And question for you is 
in your business, you are, you call yourself a salesperson. You really are, I hate to sound cliche, a true consultant is what I hear and listen to. And someone who can see the world and simplify things quickly that are typically very complicated, which becomes very valuable to these multi-million dollar properties to get them sold or clients buying them um, or, rep or representing them. On the flip side of that, how do you, how you've got, you're so skilled. It's your strength is your weakness. You're a great leader. You say you're not a great manager. I, you're probably just a great manager. And so you spend a lot, you actually manage and you're a great salesperson. If you could do it again, what would your advice to yourself be to, to figure it out more quickly without, or would you? No, I not? think, I think, um, I mean, I, I, Funny enough, I think my weakness is communication, <laughs> which which sounds funny because I, I think I, I do think I'm good at, at taking big thoughts and distilling them down. Um, but like I work best with someone who hands me the keys and says, you know, let's go. OK. And and I think, you know, what what I wish I would have known earlier is you have to earn that trust a little bit more. OK. Maybe, yeah. I, maybe that's a little bit of arrogance to think that, hey, of course you should trust me. You know, of, of course I'm that good. All right. Um, and, and that's not, you have to earn that. And, and even to this day, I have to, I have to communicate. I have to really, I have to really think about how, you know, hey, Mike, did you, did you call that person? You should call that person. You know, uh, uh, Noel, who works for me, calls it, you know, the hairs are standing up in the back of my neck. You know, like all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to get a phone call. You know, I'm not doing, I'm not doing what I should be doing. And so I think, you know, if I had gotten onto that earlier on and, and you can, and, and a lot of agents mechanize that, which is great. We, we do, we send out a regular selling report that comes from my marketing director to all of our people, but that does not replace the phone call. That does not replace um, you know, the, the, the conversation. And, and I always say that, um, time moves fast for buyers and slow for sellers, you know, sellers are sitting there in their house every day going, what happened? And today? they're writing the story in their heads of what's going on, unless we help. Totally. Them and it. it's so easy for us to forget it. You know, other, other communications thing I'm not good at that I try to work on is I just forget that I do this. I've done this. How many times? I don't know, like thousands of times I sold yeah. a house. This person I'm talking to has maybe never done it or yeah. done it once or twice 20 years ago. Yeah. And you have to like sit, and this is everybody across the board. doesn't matter, you know, and, and, and sometimes I can make the mistake that, oh, they're a sophisticated person. It doesn't matter. They haven't done this. Well, many and of them are to, billionaires, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I sent a very wealthy guy a set of disclosures without really calling him and telling him what was up, and he's like, "What the hell is this?" You know. <laughs> so, you know that I think I think more attention to that early on would have gotten me there faster. And when I say there, I think I think there in our business is being a listing agent. You know, I, you know yeah, eighty percent of our agents, if not ninety, are predominantly buyer agents, and there's a and and the listing agents control inventory and there's, and there are fewer of them that have a lot of listings. And that's the Holy grail. I think in our business is become a listing agent and, and listing and, and that's what it takes. And so it's easier to be a buyer's agent because you're you got them in your car, although not anymore, but they're at your side a lot and you're talking to them and that, that you don't have to be as studied about it when you're selling someone's house. Exactly. That's great advice. And then, and then when you, Last question before the quote final three, which you've already answered one of those, but when you, in your career, how did you, how did you figure out, okay, sales is it, or did you know, 
how do you know when you're getting into this or for agents who are in the midst of success and trying to figure out which direction do I take this? How do I set boundaries to limit, not limit, but to hone my skills? So I'm just selling or owning or managing, or where do you, do you have any advice for that? I mean, I did, I did all of them, you know, and exactly. it took me a long time to kind of feel, you know, what I was really good at, you know, big, a, a big challenge I'd say to a lot of people too, is being able to let go of things and delegate things and understand what you can't do. Um, a lot of realtors get into the business because they want independence and they think, and, and they want a low, you know, they, they don't want to have to do a lot of team stuff or anything else. But um, I think, you know, once I, once I was able to do more of that, you, you start to learn what you're really good at. Like when I say I'm not detail earned, I don't like to do disclosures. I don't want to see them. I don't want to do any of that stuff. Okay. I want to, I want to think about how this house is going to sell. I want to talk to buyers about what they like and don't like. I want to, I want to listen to agents about what they see is going on. Yeah. I want to be able to talk to other agents and, and hear what's going on. And I want to be able to answer that universal question of what's happening in the market. And I want to answer it well with yeah. detail. I want to tell you the stuff that we were talking about, what COVID is doing to my real estate market right now and who's buying and where they're buying and what's changed. And that's what I want to do. And if I, if I'm out there like doing paperwork, I can't do that. You're missing I got to be out. That. I got to be out in the street. Love it. Okay. So the quote final three, number one, we've already asked this. Your, what book do you just have to read that changes your life or career? Did we yep. name, was it, was it I'd say brief. I'd, brief? I, I, I'd go for brief first and then I love pitch anything too. Okay. Now I just have to tell you when we were talking before we were recording, I was literally going, I've got to read that book brief. That's okay. funny. That's funny. funny. Anyway, great book. I've heard. I started it. Yeah. Okay. Second question. What has been the best resource for your success? Is it a, is it something in technology? Is it a tool Is something that you do the way you do something, your listing presentation? Other agents and, and, and relationships with other agents. That's been far and away throughout my whole career. The story I told you about the three of us at Call Bank are breaking out together. I learned more from them in that experience than anywhere else. Um, you know, to this day, I mean, I, I know that, that the, COVID has caused a lot of this when we were all stuck up in Zooming. A lot of agents started to get together in Zoom calls. Um, we have a great Sotheby's group, you know, that you, yeah. you're part of. Um, yeah. That group has done so much for me um, just to listen to other people's experiences and how they do things and that's not you and then taking pieces of that. That's, that's the biggest. If I had never reached out, I would never be here. Wow. That's so true. When you come into this business with the impression it's cutthroat, and you come out anything but, I mean, it's mm -hmm. what you make of it. Um, last question. If there's one thing we should take away and remember forever, if we're going to forget everything else, what should it be from this conversation? It's a deal. It's called a deal. Treat it that way. To treat Don't everything tear it that apart. way. Put it together. Put it together. <laughs> awesome. Michael, thank you so much for an awesome Thanks, interview. Jerry. It's so good to see you. That was fun. It's really fun. Thank you.